You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. So, Father, we lift up that into you. We um, pray over the words that he's got from you, Father. We just pray as he speaks, Lord, that your presence would just be on those words, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we'll be open to receive them, Father. And, and would you help us to um, put them into our lives, Lord, and put them into practice, Lord? Would you change what needs to be changed? And would you work for us, Father, with um, the words that Ian brings? Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Thank you for coming out this morning, everybody. Um, yeah, the equip was awesome. And uh, I better get this out of the way so you're not staring at it, wondering the whole time. Um, would you believe that I didn't move quick enough for Mel, so she took a swing at me? And uh, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. I had an argument with the tailgate on our car yesterday, and uh, the tailgate, the edge of the tailgate, in my head wanted to be in the same place at the same time, and. Um, that didn't work very well, but we'll just call it a draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been singing about the greatness, the awesomeness, the majesty of our God this morning. God who has created the universe, who's infinitely powerful, infinitely wise. And yet he calls us into fellowship with him. He calls us to talk to him in prayer. I'll be talking about prayer this morning, continuing the spiritual disciplines. But he calls us to talk to him in prayer. That is a stunning thought, that someone so infinitely high and lofty and holy and magnificent, who's burning so bright with a blazing glory that our eyes can't even look on him, would call us into fellowship and into intimacy with him. What a staggering thought that is. What an incredible God we have. Why would you not want to talk to this God in prayer? Why would you not want to be in relationship with him? I'm going to open up with another of the old Puritan prayers that I read this morning, for those who don't know, from the Valley of Vision. Wonderful old prayers by people who knew how to pray. And um, this one is entitled, God the Source of All Good. It says, O Lord God who inhabits eternity, the heavens declare your glory, the earth your riches, the universe is your temple, Your presence fills the vastness. Yet you have of your pleasure created life and communicated joy. You have made me what I am and given me what I have. In you I live and breathe and have my being. Your providence has set the limits of my living place and wisely directs all my affairs. I thank you for your riches to me in Jesus for the shining revelation of him in your word, where I behold his nature, his character, his grace, his glory, his humiliation, his sufferings, his death and his resurrection. Help me to feel a need of his continual saviourhood 
and cry with Job, I am nothing. With Peter, I am perishing. With the tax collector, be merciful to me, a sinner. Destroy in me the love of sin. Let me know the need of renewal as well as of forgiveness in order to serve and enjoy you forever. I come to you in the all-prevailing name of Jesus with nothing of my own to plead, no works, no worthiness, no promises. I am often straying, often knowingly opposing your authority, often abusing your goodness. Much of my guilt arises from my spiritual benefits, my low valuation of them, my failure to use them to my benefit. But I'm not inconsiderate of your favour or indifferent to your glory. Impress me deeply with a sense of your omnipresence, that you are involved with my path, my ways, my resting and my end. Amen. Last week we began to look at the first of several of the spiritual disciplines and that of prayer. And uh, these disciplines are designed to shape us, to mould us, to make us into more godly people. As we practice them and as we practice them regularly and consistently, we will be gradually transformed from within by the renewing of our minds. The purpose of this series on the spiritual disciplines is to provide fertile soil for us to be shaped by the Holy Spirit, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal we've set for ourselves in City Edge Church this year. I hope it's the goal you've set for yourself this year, to be conformed to the image of Christ, and not just for this year, but for this life. Each week as we work through the disciplines, I'll run briefly through the list and the definition to refresh your memory, or for those who weren't here previously. So the spiritual disciplines are prayer, fasting. Can we just go back one, please, Adriana? Prayer, fasting, Bible reading, meditation, worship, fellowship and confession. And the definition of these disciplines, thanks to Dr Don Whitney, is spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to acknowledge in ourselves we are weak. We are powerless. We are not in control of our lives as much as we like to think we are. We need to acknowledge that we're immature and that we don't reflect Christ in the way we should. Tyrone Daniel opened the equip on Wednesday night with a statement that I loved. Prayer is weakness resting on omnipotence. That is a powerful thought. Prayer is weakness Resting on omnipotence. Last week we looked at how we can pray. I gave you a couple of patterns for prayer. And uh, I wonder how you have gone with your spiritual discipline of prayer this week. Has has those patterns, those uh, suggestions helped in any way? Anyone? Yeah, it has. It's been helpful for some. Good. Hopefully... There will be a few more keys to help you this week. 
The first one we looked at as a reminder was straight from the lips of our Lord. The, the um, prayer that's become known as the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, it's in Matthew 6 or Luke 11, if you want to look it up later on, Jesus focused on several things of great importance. Firstly, the greatness of God. We've been singing about the greatness of God. In fact, we should always be singing about the greatness of God. And, about that, and that God's rule and reign should be established in the world. And he prayed about sustenance and provision, forgiveness, strength to resist sin, and protection from the enemy. Not only is the Lord's Prayer a good pattern for us to follow, it's also encouraging for those of us who struggle to find time to pray, which is a problem for lots of us. We live in a very busy society with a lot of demands on us and a lot of distractions and a lot of things to waste time on. But the Lord's Prayer is stunning in its simplicity and its brevity. Jesus, the one who would often spend whole nights in prayer when he was asked to teach the disciples to pray, gave them a four-sentence prayer as an example. A prayer that we can do in minutes, in moments, really. That gives me hope that I can become a regular prayer myself because it doesn't mean I have to set aside whole nights. Now, there are times we should, and we'll get to that. The other pattern we looked at was based on the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, God is good. Confession, we're not so good. Thanksgiving, God has done much that we can be thankful for. And supplication, we and the world have many needs that only God can meet. A-C-T-S. And I gave you a couple of examples of what prayer, our prayers might look like if we use those patterns to guide us. Uh, if you want a refresher on that, as we found out this morning, that's available on our podcast, so you can have a listen back. And I've, I prayed a couple of sample prayers based on the Lord's Prayer and the ACTS acronym. Um, probably should mention, if you go looking for our podcast, there is another City Edge church on there, but it's spelt City Edge as one word. Ours has got a break in between, so City Edge Church. So uh, you won't find us on the other one. And don't forget to thank John for setting that up for us too. Another type of prayer that I mentioned last week, and it's possibly the best in my opinion, is to pray the Bible. When we pray the Bible, we're praying God's words, given to us and inspired by the Holy Spirit, back to God. That has to be a good thing, surely. has to be a good thing. Again, I'm indebted to Dr. Don Whitney for this. This idea, I don't think, was original with him, but he's written a very, very helpful little book about it called, coincidentally, Praying the Bible. It's one of the books I recommended in the handout I gave out last week. And uh, if you didn't get a handout, there's some sitting on the seat there. It's got uh, these various types of prayer in there. It's got um, some recommendations of books and some web resources and as well as a, some number of things and scriptures that can help to prompt you in prayer. So uh, if anyone wants one, maybe... Uh, anyone? Ginger up the back wants one? So... Um, some parts of the Bible are easier to pray than others, though. 
It's easier to pray some of the Psalms, for instance, or some of the promises that are given to us than it is to pray a genealogy. Some parts of the Bible are a list of names. So-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. A bit harder to pray a genealogy. Uh, It's easier to pray a verse where God has made a promise to us, like in James where he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It's easier to pray where God has told us to pray for something specifically than it is to pray something from Job's argument with his friends, for example. So what is praying the Bible? Put fairly simply, Praying the Bible means taking a verse or a passage or even a whole chapter and using that to guide you or prompt your prayer, beginning with a verse or even sometimes just a single word in that verse. You pray whatever you feel prompted to pray. I'll give you a couple of examples of that shortly. And you pray until you run out of things to pray. And then you move on to the next verse or the next chapter or whatever and continue doesn't matter if you don't stick religiously to the topic or the word or the meaning of that particular verse. We're not interpreting it for the sake of teaching other people. We're praying. We're talking to God. And we're using his word to inspire us to talk back to him. You can head off in all sorts of different directions with your prayer. It doesn't matter if you can't think of anything to pray from that particular verse. Move on to the next one you'll find something there, or the one after. It's a bit like my list of names that I talked about last week that I have, I pray for every week, or the acronym ACTS. It's a prompt to help you to pray. The big benefit of praying this way, as I mentioned, is you're using the words of God himself to prompt you. And you're allowing his Holy Spirit to put things on your heart and in your mind to pray. So I'll give you a few simple examples from a few different places in scripture about how we might do this and uh, to show you that any passage can inspire prayer. So as I read these, as I've written these out as an example, there's no reason why you can't be joining with me as a genuine prayer yourself. First up, can we have... um, 1 Thessalonians 3.4 up on the screen. For when we were with you, Paul wrote, we kept telling you beforehand that, as, that we were to suffer affliction just as it has now come to pass and just as you know. How might we pray something prompted by that verse? We might pray something like this. Jesus, you said that we would have to take up a cross to follow you. So far, I've not had to suffer any real affliction, Lord. The worst I've had to face is looks of pity from my family and ridicule from my workmates for being a Christian. But Lord, if and when the time comes, I pray for the strength to remain faithful to you. The strength that you promise to give your people when they're persecuted. Around the world, Lord, there are untold numbers of believers being persecuted and murdered right now. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them. I pray, Lord, that you would use their blood as seed to plant and grow the good news of the gospel in those nations. 
Use their faithfulness, Lord, in affliction to break hard hearts. You, Lord, know every hair on their head. You know every trial and every affliction and every persecution they face. I pray, Lord, that you will give them peace and confidence to stand up for you. Even as they're being smashed down, use them, Lord, to build your church. Use them, Lord, to show your glory to the nations. Amen. There's another example. This is one that we actually put into practice one night at our corporate prayer at our place last year. Um, we gave it a bit of a trial run. I set aside seven minutes and gave each of us a psalm to pray and we all went off into different areas of the house and, and prayed prompted by that psalm. And uh, I think it would probably be fair to say that those of us who did that got our seven minutes up and hadn't run out of things to pray yet. When you're praying the scriptures, there's plenty of things to say to God and about God. So let's have Psalm 23 up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Three verses of Psalm 23. You are my shepherd, Lord. You've guided me and you've protected me and you have fed me. When I look back over my life, Lord, I see that you have been my shepherd even from birth, even before I knew you. I praise you that you have cared for me all those years, even through my rebellious years, through my years of wandering. I thank you that you left the 99 and came searching for me. I thank you that you didn't give up until you found me and brought me home. Lord, while I'm grateful that you're my shepherd, I'm worried about my friend Billy. He's doing it tough at the moment, Lord. He seems to have lost his way. He's getting into stuff that is destroying him. I pray for him, Lord. I ask that you go after him also. Round him up, Lord. Round him up and bring him back. In that prayer, I've actually only touched on verse 1. Psalm 23 is six verses. That's a pretty short psalm. Some of them are dozens or even hundreds of verses. How long do you think you could pray for if you're praying a psalm? Another one, this one might be a little bit more difficult to think of inspirations. Genesis 25 verse 10. And it says, So Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah in the same field that he had that he had bought from the Hittites. Now at first glance you'd look at that and think, what the heck would I pray from that verse? But how about this? Father, when I look at Abraham and his life, it seems a little presumptuous of me to compare myself with him. He's one of the outstanding examples of faith in the Bible and my faith seems so weak, so inconsistent. He trusted you for 25 years to fulfil your promise to him. I seem to forget your promises to me in 25 minutes. 
it makes me want to cry out, I do believe, help my unbelief. But I also see some similarities, Lord. Abraham failed you and sinned against you so many times, but you never failed him. You kept your promises to bless him and to bless his offspring. I see your faithfulness to me through my sin and my failure and my rebellion. I see the multitude of ways that you have blessed me and you continue to bless me. I see your faithfulness to my children, to my children's children. And it makes me want to sing your praises, Lord. Your praise, Lord, will ever be on my lips. I see other similarities too, Lord. By your grace, you chose Abraham and saved him out of his idolatry. You chose me from my sin for salvation too, also by your grace. You kept Abraham all those years. You have kept me too. You promised to bless all the nations through Abraham and Sarah and their descendants. Lord, would you use Mel and I to bless the nations also. I pray, Father, that you would be faithful to our children and our children's children to a thousand generations. I ask, Lord, that you would grant salvation to all our family, to all our descendants, and that they would be blessings to all nations as well. Amen. One verse that at first glance seems to be difficult to inspire prayer. But there's so much we could pray from that. What are some other things that that verse might inspire us to pray? How about Sarah? Sarah is proof that nothing is impossible with God. She was 75 years old, barren, never conceived, and gave birth to a son who was the ancestor of Jesus because of the promises of God. Nothing is impossible for God. What about the continued existence and the survival of the Jews? It's evidence that God is a covenant-keeping God. God made a covenant with Abraham. He will never break it. And the fact that the Jews survive to this day is proof that God is a covenant-keeping God. The Hittites were a mighty, powerful nation that uh, many, many people, 100 and 200 years ago or something, believed that the mention of the Hittites as being a powerful nation in the Bible, there was proof that the Bible was wrong. There was no evidence of the Hittites, let alone that the Hittites were powerful, until one day archaeologists dug up evidence that the Hittites were one of the most powerful nations on earth in their time. But this verse reminds us that no ruler, no king, no government, not even the Hittites, are able to withstand God and his purposes. Everything and everyone opposed to him will fall. No earthly government, no earthly kingdom can stand before our God. That should bring us a sense of peace and confidence and security, regardless of the craziness in the world, the wars, the whatever that's going on in the world that causes us confusion and despair. We can have confidence that our God will achieve his purposes and nothing can stand against it.
sure if you went home and thought about this, you'd think of dozens of other things probably that this simple verse could inspire for prayer. Those three prayers that I've just prayed as examples maybe took up seven or eight minutes total of praying time. If we were to open our Bibles and pray through a passage or a chapter or a psalm, we could pray for hours on end without running short of things to say. Pray the Bible. For those who'd like to explore it a bit more, get Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. It's outstanding. It's available in hardcover format and on Kindle and audio book versions. So it's easy to get hold of and it's pretty cheap. And it's one of the best things I've ever read on prayer. But we don't always know what to pray for, do we? That can be one of our problems, trying to develop a habit of prayer and I don't really know where to start because I don't know what to pray. Praying through the Bible helps solve that problem. But uh, what about when you're driving or you're awake at four o'clock in the morning and you don't want to disturb your wife? It's not quite so convenient to pick up the Bible and pray through a passage. Of course, what you've learned and remembered and uh, memorised can help in that. But uh, what are some of the things we might ask God for? John Piper, God bless him, comes to our rescue. He has a helpful list of things that we can and we should be praying for. I'll mention a couple of them here. The rest are in that handout. Pray that God would exalt his name. Matthew 6, 9 says, Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that God would extend his kingdom in this world. Pray for boldness in proclamation of the gospel. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit it says, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to, your, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. That's Acts 4.29. Pray that God would save unbelievers. Paul wrote, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Pray that God would send out labourers for the harvest. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. And while we were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We should be praying for unity and harmony in the ranks of believers. John 17, Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Pray for knowledge of God's will. Colossians 1.9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray for greater faith. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Pray for the forgiveness of your sins. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Pray that you would do good works. 
We have not ceased to pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Pray for the healing of unbelievers. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. There's at least two dozen others compliments of John Piper in the handout. You'll never run out of things to pray if you pray the Bible. One other thing, are you struggling in your relationship with someone? Someone maybe who frustrates you, disappoints you, maybe you can't stand the sight of them, you wish they'd get out of your life, maybe you can't find your heart to even like them, let alone love them. Can I suggest a strategy to deal with that? Pray for them. Pray for them. I don't mean pray that God would punish them or God would make them go away. I mean pray that God would bless them. That God would bless them. That they would receive an abundance of his grace and his love. You can't consistently and genuinely pray for someone for God's blessing on them without your own heart being softened towards them. You cannot do it. You cannot maintain a hard heart towards someone that you're praying to be blessed. And scripture tells us that the goodness and kindness of God leads to repentance. You want them to be changed? You want them to repent? Pray that God will pour out his goodness and his kindness on them. It will change them and it will change you. It will change your relationship. Another thing, be honest in your prayer. If you're hurting or if you're angry or you're confused or you're doubting, tell God. It's not like he doesn't know. We can't hide it from him by pretending that everything's all right when we're struggling on the inside. What did David say in Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by that day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. We're in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Isn't it absurd for us to pretend that everything's all right? Be honest with God. Give it to him. He knows and he's big enough, his shoulders are big enough to carry it. We're not going to drag him down by telling him the things that worry us, frighten us, challenge us, the things we're struggling with. Another reason why we don't pray, or at least don't pray more consistently, is uncertainty about whether God actually does answer prayer. Does he take any notice of us? Does he really answer? The short answer, of course, is yes, he does. Many of you can testify to answer prayer. Laura testified this morning to healing prayer. And uh, from what I understand, she's been making the most of her healing. She put it to the test that very night. said, God, you've healed me. I can do this, 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 this and this. And you did, didn't you? Yeah, and months later, she's still healed. God answers prayer. 
But he doesn't always answer it in the way we hope or the way we expect. That's one of the challenges for us. Sometimes we don't hear the answer when it comes. Sometimes we don't like the answer when it comes. Sometimes it comes in a way that's so unexpected we don't recognise it as an answer from God. But God always answers the prayers of his people. Sometimes, though, the answer is no, which is an answer, by the way. No is an answer. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is yes, but in a way you don't expect. And sometimes the answer is yes, as Laura can testify, just what you wanted. One of the results of our being conformed to the image of Christ will be a greater sensitivity to hearing what God is saying to us in all situations and all circumstances, not just in prayer, but definitely in prayer. We'll also then have more confidence in the goodness of God and how perfect his will is for us. Whether we get the answer we wanted or expected or not, and we can then be anxious for nothing. Yet another result of being conformed to the image of Christ will be a settled confidence that God always works for our good. Always works for our good. Romans 8.28 is a verse that basically permeates my being. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Something somehow God wrote on my soul and my spirit. And I can look at circumstances I've been through, some of the toughest and darkest days I've been through, and I can see God working that for my good. I'd encourage you to pray that verse into your spirit. And it's all things. It's not just the good things. It's not just the things we like. It's all things, good or bad, that happen to you. And it's not just this thing in isolation from that thing. All things work together for good. They're like pieces of the jigsaw puzzle of your life that God is putting all things together to make that picture of your life. And they're working together for good, never for harm. Nothing God does, no prayer, whether he says yes or no to us, is for our harm. It is all for our good. And when you have a rock like that in your soul and your spirit, the crazy stuff that happens, the struggles, the the money problems, the work stresses, getting sacked from your job, a loved one dying, doesn't shake you because you know God is using it for your good. Every circumstance, good or bad, God is using for your good if you put your trust in him. That promise is not for anyone else. No one else can look at their life and say, God is using this for my good. Only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. When God says no to us, he doesn't say God because he's a, uh, doesn't say no because he is a grouch and he wants to 
withhold things off from us and punish us. He's saying no for our benefit because he sees the big picture that we don't see and he sees how this is going to work for our good. One of my great desires for this series that we're going through at the moment is that we should come to know God so deeply, so intimately that we have total confidence in his goodness, whether we see the answer to prayer or not, that we are still unshaken. I might add that uh, while God doesn't always answer the prayers we offer up the way we want him to, he always answers the prayer that he has directed us to pray. That's why praying the Bible is so good. We're praying his words back to him. So when should we persist and when should we give up? I've been talking about how briefly you can pray, how economically you can get these prayers off. But when do we know when, whether we should persist or should continue longer times in prayer or should we give up? There's a lesson for us from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, we read that uh, Jesus was about to be arrested and taken off for execution. He went to pray in the garden. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Is it wrong for us to ask God to take that cup of suffering away from us? If the example of Jesus is anything to go by, it isn't. Paul prayed three times for that thorn in his flesh to be taken away. It's not wrong for us to ask for him to take away some of our burdens, our struggles. Continuing, verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I talked about how brief and economical our prayers can be and still be effective. Effective prayer is measured by strength, not length. You may recall from last week. We're not heard for our many words. And if you've been basically prayerless, a brief prayer from the heart is better than nothing at all. But sometimes we do need to pray longer prayers. Sometimes we do need to stick at it. We see in this passage the importance of persistence. Jesus didn't just shoot up a five-second prayer and forget about it. He came back a second and a third time, saying the same words again, Scripture tells us. Repetition. He spent an hour or more 
bringing the same request to his father in the same words. Does this reveal a lack of faith in Jesus? Of course not. In one of the books I've recommended in the handout, the author actually says that persistent prayer is sometimes an indicator of great faith. He points out that we and Jesus would only persist in prayer if we believe that God is able to grant our request. If we don't think he's able, we won't bother persisting. He goes on to say in this particular book that uh, persisting in prayer is also how we wrestle our wills into submission to God's will. Persistent prayer says, I know I should want your will, Lord, but I don't. Help me to want it. Of course, persistent prayer can be foolish if we're trying to arm wrestle God into submission to try and get our own way by wearing him down. Persistent prayer is also foolish if we fail at the end of it all to rest in not my will, but your will be done. That's where Jesus left off his prayer. In spite of the horror of what I'm about to face, I submit my will to yours, Father. Your will be done. That's a good place to finish our persistent prayers. Your will be done. Jesus' enemies were approaching to arrest him, to torture him, to kill him. And yet he stood up with confidence after talking to his father, persisting in prayer. He stood up with confidence to face his enemy, to face his death, to face his separation from the father. And he stood up calmly and confidently. The safest place to be is in the centre of the will of God. Because knowing when God has answered our prayer is not always easy. It's another good reason for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. The more we understand him, the more we know him, the more he is formed in us, the more instinctively we will know what he is asking of us, what he is giving to us, and when he's answered. So what about corporate prayer? Haven't touched on that yet. Prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines that should be practised individually and corporately. We should pray when we're home alone or in the car or somewhere else private. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's Matthew 6.6. But we should also do it corporately. When we're gathered together, we should be praying and we should gather together for prayer. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy about church life, said in 1 Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Among other things to pray for, we should be praying as a church for our governmental leaders. It's been well said that prayer is the engine room of the church. The early church prayed and prayed often. If you go through the book of Acts, there's about 25 instances of the early church praying in different situations. That's an average of almost one per chapter. The early church lived on prayer. Charles Spurgeon said of this engine room, 
If the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. In Spurgeon's opinion, corporate prayer is the most important meeting of the week because everything else is driven by prayer. My confession, prayer has not been an important part of the life of our church and that's my fault. I haven't modelled it. I haven't given it the priority it should have. And I apologise. I ask your forgiveness for not making prayer an important part, a vital part of the life of this church. And I commit to making it a greater part of our life together. So uh, in the light of that, I'd like to remind you that we have a regular prayer service here around 10 past 10 in the morning, every Sunday morning before church starts. We also meet fortnightly on a Wednesday night at our place, uh, 7.30, for one hour. It's not a huge chunk out of the week. I invite you all to be part of both of those prayer times. We pray for the church service. We pray for City Edge Church. We pray for the people of City Edge Church. We pray for other churches. We pray for the government. We pray for world situations. We pray for persecuted believers overseas. We pray for the advance of the gospel. We pray for the growth of the kingdom. We pray for salvations and restorations of broken relationships. We sometimes even pray for health, work, family and finance issues. There is nothing that we can't bring to our Father in prayer, knowing that he hears us. I'll wrap up with a couple of other practical thoughts. Some people like to keep a prayer journal. It not only helps them to keep their prayers in order, but also provides something to look back on, see answers to prayer. If uh, you don't know what you've prayed, you don't know really whether God has answered your prayer. So some people find a prayer journal very helpful. An answered prayer builds our faith and builds our confidence in God. I find it helpful to keep a notepad by the bed and in the car when I'm out and about, I note down things to pray for as they come to mind and uh, of course I'm of an older generation than most of you so you modern folks might like to do this in your smartphones but it's helpful a notepad of things to pray for and to persist in prayer for otherwise I forget what I prayed about yesterday but I want to keep praying until I see an answer What about written prayers? I've read out a few prayers this morning that are written prayers. Some people might not like the idea of prayers prepared in advance, written out in advance. It's not spiritual, they might say. How can you be led by the Holy Spirit if you've already written them out and you're just reciting them? Well, I might answer that criticism by saying that the Holy Spirit is quite able to lead me as I'm writing out my prayers just as he is able to lead me if I'm doing it spontaneously. And there's nothing to stop him leading me as I'm reading out that prayer, and in actual fact he did, as I was reading some of those prayers out earlier. There's some things I prayed that weren't in my written prayer. The Holy Spirit is able to lead us in every and every circumstance.
Yeah, isn't that amazing? Merrill has actually told me a similar thing. That, that prayers that are prepared months and years in advance, because in those churches they use a prayer book that's a three-year cycle, is that right? Yeah. And it's relevant for this week. God is able to lead. Whether you write your prayers out or do them spontaneously, whether you wrote them out months or years or centuries ago, the Holy Spirit is not constrained by the writing of our prayers to lead us. That's incredible testimony of the leading of the Holy Spirit to generations that precede us by 500 years in some cases. That's amazing. I find when I write my prayers out, it helps me to focus my thoughts. It helps me not to waffle on. It helps me to keep on track. It helps me to avoid mindless repetition. I don't write out the personal prayers I pray for you. I pray for you all, as I said last week, I pray for you all by name every week. See, that is one of my responsibilities as a pastor of this church. I don't write out those personal prayers, but I do write out stuff that I want to pray here corporately. Public prayer, in my opinion, benefits from preparation. I might also add that the prayers we find in the Bible, including the Lord's Prayer, which many people recite on a regular basis, are written prayers for us now. They may not have been at the time that Jesus gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer, but ever since then, it's been a written prayer. Is it any less powerful because it was written? Is it any less spirit-led because it comes from a piece of paper now instead of from the mouth directly of Jesus? I don't think so. One last thought. Who are we praying to? I think it helps us to make our prayers more real and more focused if we think about who we're actually directing them to. Are we speaking to the Father, the Son or the Holy Spirit in our prayer? They all have different roles in salvation and sanctification. The Father didn't die on the cross, for example. The Holy Spirit didn't send his Son to die for us. Fortunately, God knows the heart. He's not a lawyer sitting up there in heaven looking for loopholes in our prayer so he can say, ha, got him there, I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> I prayed to the wrong person of the Trinity. God listens to the heart, not the words of our prayers. And God's a Trinity, he's a three in one, so to some extent it doesn't really matter. So I don't want to labour the point, but I do think it helps us to pray intelligently and meaningfully when we're thinking about who we're praying to. We're, not, we're praying to a person. We're not just praying to the force or some Mother Earth or karma or some rubbish like that. We're praying to a person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. So I think it's a helpful thing to be, to be thinking about who we're praying to. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. When we come to our Father in prayer, we're admitting that we are not the captains of our souls, as an old poem puts it. We're admitting that we 
don't have it all together, that we don't have the control over our life and our circumstances that we wish we had. And you know what? That's all right. In fact, it's more than all right. It's appropriate. Because prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. God gives grace to the humble, the Bible tells us. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want God opposing you? Or do you want grace? Prayer is coming to God humbly. Coming to God saying, I haven't got it all together, Lord. I need your help. Prayer is making your wants and your needs and your fears and your joys and your thanks known to him. A famous man by the name of Russ Doty said a few days ago, prayer is the number one expression of dependence. He's right. Prayer is the number one expression of dependence. Last week I invited you all to join me in committing yourself to these spiritual disciplines this year. And I invite you again. We should be encouraged to pray. We should encourage each other to pray. We should pray regularly because we have a God who not only hears us but who delights to answer our prayers. The English pastor and evangelist F.B. Meyer said a hundred years or so ago, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer but unoffered prayer, the prayers that we don't offer up. We all have wants, needs, hurts, fears, joys and delights. Why not offer them up to the Father in prayer? Why not? The Father knows what we need before we ask for it, Jesus told us. But Jesus didn't say the Father gives us what we need before we ask for it. He said he knows what we need before we ask for it. He wants us to come to him in prayer. He invites us to come to him in prayer. He delights to commune with us in prayer. Why? Why does he get such delight from his people coming to him in prayer? This God who rules everything, who is omnipotent, who is all holy, who is completely other to us why does he delight to hear our prayers it's not because of any worth or importance that's in us even though we're made in the image of God each one of us made in the image of God but he doesn't delight to hear our prayers because of our worth he doesn't delight to hear our prayers because of our faithfulness to him because if you're like me you recognise that you're more often unfaithful than you are faithful he doesn't delight to hear our prayers because we are consistent in our practice of the spiritual disciplines. The reason he delights to hear us and to answer us is because of the work that his son, Jesus Christ, did on that cross. You'll recall when Jesus gave up his life, he said, it is finished and breathed this last. There was an earthquake and the veil of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. That veil was 18 inches thick. That curtain, 18 inches thick apparently, ripped from top to bottom. 
Jesus has opened the way into the heavenlies. He's opened the door, given us direct access to the Father who delights to hear our prayer, delights to hear our prayer because what his Son has done on our behalf. He not only dealt with the whole issue of our sin and our alienation from a holy God, he brought us into that family. He brought us into the presence of that same holy God. We have free, unrestricted access to the throne room of grace. Nothing stands in the way. Nothing stands in the way. Because Jesus has bought that entry for us by his blood. Why would you not want to talk to him? Thank you, Father, that you hear us. Thank you, God, that you delight to answer our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly before you whenever we like, whenever we need as often as we need to, you never turn us away. We do want to pray, Lord, help our prayerlessness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do help us in our weakness, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I pray, my God, that you will work into our hearts this regular practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer, to work it into our hearts, into our spirits. And in doing so, Lord, you will conform us day by day into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. To your glory, Father, and in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.